I kind of see all the things I've done kind of as stepping stones. Like it's just a means to an end. Like I had to go through the grind of a job to get frustrated enough to want to become an entrepreneur and build businesses I'd hated so I can know what kind of businesses I want to build. Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What is up, my favorite person of the week? I hope you're having an amazing day today. I love that you're listening to the show. It's your boy, Bitcoin, a.k.a. Rabbi Can Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In this episode, I get to chat with my very good friend, Omar Zenholm of WebinarNinja.com and The $100 MBA. Now, this is an episode, if you are trying to get your business started in an online business or you have one and you're trying to grow it, I highly recommend it for you. Omar was a college basketball player, and then he ended up teaching English in Dubai for 10 years. Yes, 10 years. And then he found out about this thing called the internet. And he started creating some online businesses that have ended up making a lot of money, and he now lives in San Diego. So in this episode, we talk about a lot of the ideas that failed for him, how he actually was able to get his businesses growing, and a lot of the failures that hopefully you can avoid where like now he had a very long delay with one of his products, and so how he was able to deal with it. Enjoy the episode. All right, before we get started, our team at AppSumo.com, that's one of the companies I helped start, released a brand new product today. It's called BriefcaseHQ.com, and I love it, so I have to tell you about it. If you're running an online business or starting an online business, there's all these tools all over the place you got to buy, like design tools and finance tools and scheduling tools and blah, 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 and it's a lot of money. So for one price, it's about 50 bucks a month. You get all the tools you need to run your business. Think of it like a Netflix for software. We're kind of shocked that no one else has done it. I'm really excited. Today's launch week, so there's a bunch of free giveaways if you could check it out. It's briefcasehq.com. If you're listening to this in the future, still go check it out. How are you doing? Good, man. How you doing? The Hebrew's tough, man. Learning is hard. Of course, man. Languages are not easy. No, and you just feel so stupid, or I feel so stupid. I'm like, oh, I know that word. Oh, it's a shalom. They're like, you don't know shalom. You're stupid. I'm like, I'm sorry, Bob. It's fun to have it. I like the routine and like I enjoy having the consistency of classes. Yeah, man. And plus, like, it's good to be a beginner in something, you know, and, and just feeling that little bit of that pain, feeling like you're starting from fresh, you know? Well, speaking of being a beginner, Omar, let's come back to the beginning of the story. So you're coasting, brother. You're doing $100 MBA. You're Omar Zenholm. You're speaking around the world. You've got a great girl. And you're like, oh, man, I'm going to make my life shitty. I'm going to go start a SaaS business. That's where you make all the real big money. That's where all the easy money comes because it's recurring revenue. Look at Netflix. What was the beginner mindset? What are the things that most people aren't aware of? Because I think grass is greener. Everyone's like, man, I got to start these SaaS companies. What do most people not know? Um, what's the big things that you learned? First of all, you know, we're self-funded. So I didn't have a ton of cash. So I needed to have a really good proof of concept before I launched. I need to have some money to actually invest into the development of the whole thing. And actually, Webinar Ninja just happened, I don't want to say by accident, but just having my eyes open as well as scratching my own itch. So I was running webinars for the $100 BA to build our community, to get more people into our community. And I was just sick of all the other software that was out there. It was just clunky. It's ugly. It's just hard to use. You got to use the landing page software. You got to use some built-in chat software. You got to use MailChimp or whatever to get email notifications all set up. And it was just so much work, like almost not worth it, right? I know a little bit of HTML, CSS, a little bit of PHP. I wrote some documentation together and then I hired like a freelancer, literally off freelancer.com in Pakistan. He helped me just like patch it together. And it was like some dinky WordPress plugin at the time, but it just did what I wanted to do. 
gave me a basic landing page, integrated my emails, you know, I had a built-in chat. I didn't have to do anything else, right? Was the plan there to make it a business or was that just, hey, I'm doing these webinars, I just need something that has a specific functionality? I need a solution for myself because I was wasting so much time. I was like, okay, if I can put this together with a few hundred dollars and a few hours of time, it's going to be worth it because I was doing webinars once a week. And plus, like I was using other software. I was paying MailChimp, I was paying chat roll, I was paying all this other stuff for no reason. Like I was like, this is ridiculous. I started using it for my webinars. And people were asking me, like, what are you using for this webinar? It's pretty cool. Well, what is it? I was like, oh, it's just something I slapped together. It's just something I made for myself. And they're like, can I buy it? And I was like, oh, yeah, haha. My automatic response is like, people just say that. And then when I actually tell them, hey, buy it, they don't buy it. We got the developer cleanup to make it like for commercial use so we can like have licenses and, you know, like activation keys. And then we said, okay, we're going to pre sell it for 150 people. I put up like a very simple landing page, one page. I just emailed my dinky list at the time was like maybe like 30,000 people or something like that. And then from there, it sold down 24 hours, pre sold. And then I was like, okay, we've got 150 users. Then we said, okay, if I can get 100 more, then I think maybe I have something on my hands. So then I opened it up again for 100. It got sold out in 48 hours. It's like, okay. So one thing that you had that was great is you already had access to people. I think I just always want to remind people is like, look, if you ever want to start any company, you need to build some tribe or some group or some posse or entourage, whatever the hell you want to call them, before you need them. So it's kind of like planting your garden before you need to eat. The second thing I'm curious about as you're going through this is that Have you done a bunch of side projects as you were running the podcast? Or were you thinking, hey, I really want to create something that's software-based and maybe this is it? Because I think sometimes people are running their companies like, oh, there's got to be other ways to make money. And sometimes it's a distraction and sometimes it actually is a good path. The reason why we put it up for sale is one of those things is like, see if this works. We built other courses next to the $100 MBA. We built a webinar course, like how to run a webinar called DIY Webinar Guide. It was a webinar course where it teaches people like how to present on webinars how to put a webinar together with all these ad hoc tools I was using before, you know, how to put the Google Hangouts into your landing page and all that stuff. All the steps I was doing before I created the software. I think we had two sales and one of them was a chargeback. That's how bad it was. (laughs) The funny thing is that after we launched Webinar Ninja, I realized, of course, like no one wants to do this. They want a tool. Like they don't want to actually put this together, right? So you tried other things. Yeah, definitely. The Hunter on Show was on our first podcast. Like we had a podcast before that called People Who Know Their Shit. We did 46 episodes, really worked hard. You know, we got some pretty cool guests on and it was really cool and we're really excited about it. Completely sucked. We had like 400 downloads on the best day of our life, right? And that failure really helped us launch the Hunter on Show, which got us the audience. There was something that Seth Godin said once. He said, one of the best ways to be successful is to be famous. You have to build a tribe, you have to build an audience. And I was like, I need to find a way to build an audience. The show really helped me do that. I love when people always talk about like, hey, I did this and this and this, and then finally this one worked. I think when we see the companies, we're only like, oh, wow, <laughs> he hit a home run, he hit a grand slam on his first at bat. What things were surprises to you about launching a SaaS company that you weren't expecting? Because it's a new experience for you. First of all, like being self-funded, how expensive it can get really quick. And also how important it is to really find great talent or really to identify good talent. Like It's not the same as being a solopreneur or building a different type of business because there's all these different disciplines that you don't really know very well. I don't know Angular 2. I don't know if he's writing good code. So I have to find somebody that does know that and help me out with that. Those are one of the challenges. The finances, it's really expensive. A lot of people don't realize you know, these tech companies, we had to grow really slowly in order for us to afford the team we have today. Most people would be where we are with funding, you know, in a few months. 
just pacing yourself and also just that challenge of just understanding, okay, I really can't do what I want to do right now. Let me get to the point financially where I can afford somebody to help me do that. Once I get to that point, then I can hire the next hire, then make the next hire, then make the next hire. One, give me some idea of the cost. And two, how did you actually find people? I'm first to say I made a lot of mistakes when it came to hiring because I was in a rush to build it. And I found basically the team that I can afford at the start. It was basically just putting up job ads at freelancer.com, Upwork, and things like that, all these job sites out there. I found a team that I thought they could do the job properly, worked with them for about six months, realized, okay, they're not really going to take me past this point. I need better talent. How did you know that? They just screw it up or they just take forever. They take weeks to fix a bug. At some point, I had to let them go and hire other people that are more expensive and more talented. How did you know the other people were better? So after being burnt a couple of times, I realized, okay, in order for me to really know if this person can do what I want them to do, everybody on our team, especially like a technical role, we get them to work on a project for two weeks, one aspect of the software. So for example, you're going to work on making sure that the attendee count is accurate on every page, on the host page, the co-host page, and the attendee page. So that's your project for the next two weeks. You know, we take a look at how when they say, hey, I'm done, everything's fine. It makes a big difference when somebody says I'm done and I go in and there's bugs galore and somebody who says it's done and it's bug free. Like, okay, that's somebody who writes clean code, understands what they're doing. They're actually testing before they actually think they're done or that works locally on the machine and not on the actual server. Eventually, I have hired a lead developer and then a product manager that kind of helped me a lot because those people have a lot more experience in evaluating code and evaluating developers. But at the start, when you don't have money, it's a lot of just figuring out you know, who's a good fit. It's very hard to find people that are really well experienced in the technologies that we're using, whether it's Angular 2 or using you know, WebRTC technology, which is our live broadcast. Like, There's not that many people that are really good at that. There's a small pool of people. You have to pay them what they're worth. That's it, if you want to get it done. The two things I've noticed about that is for the people out there that are developers, or if you're a marketer, or if you're in sales, it's kind of interesting. Actually, the more specialized you are in some skill set that was almost more unique, like the ones you were mentioning, the more you can get paid. <laughs> I would like reminding myself and others, like, go niche, go find something specific. The second thing related to what you're talking about is my good buddy, Andrew Chen, he was teasing me a few months ago. He said, Noah, your favorite movie is Moneyball. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you love the Oakland A's. You, you think you're the Oakland A's because you love getting good deals. He's like, you want to hire these amazing players. Maybe they're over 40. Maybe they had a bad season and you want this great deal and it's a diamond in the rough. And he said, though, that's fine. But how many championships have the Oakland A's won in the past 10 years? Zero. He said, okay, let's look at a different team, the Yankees. How is their payroll? It's the highest in the league, Andrew. He said, okay. And how many championships have they won in the past 10 years? A few. And it's not to say that you go and just spend a bunch of money and you do drugs in New York and whatever the hell the Yankees do. But the point that has stuck with me is that you get what you pay for. You can get good deals and you can have a team that makes it to the playoffs. But at times, if you want to win that championship and that's important to you, it does cost some money. It's not a cost at that point. It's an investment. And I really like that message. Those 150 first members, I know them by name. I know them by face. Like I see them at conferences. They're like my friends. It was buggy. There was problems, but they didn't care. You know, Most of it was working properly. We try to fix it as fast as possible. They bought it because they liked me, really. They bought it because they trusted me from the show or from my other products. And they stuck with it. Today, they're like my biggest cheerleaders. They're the people that talk about on social media and Facebook and things like that. The good thing about being small in the beginning is that like you're not really embarrassing yourself too much because there's not that many users. You know, like they got a good deal. 
they kind of feel like they're part of something because they're like they're helping you make it better. And then how did you start getting customers that were not on your mailing list? I think that's a common thing for a lot of other people where, you know, maybe they're in a Facebook group or they're in a mastermind or they're in a Slack group or whatever the hell. And so for you, you know, you had your podcast and you had your own email list. But how did you then start getting people outside of that sphere you already had access to? Yeah, I just created a course on how to like over the nerves of webinars, how to perform on the camera, how to put your slides together, things like that. I offered that course for free. It's like a video course on Webinar Ninja's website that built my email list. Because I saw all these marketers creating these courses, selling them for like $2,000. And I've seen these courses. A lot of them are absolute garbage. Some of them are right. Some of them are garbage. Some of these people have no idea how to teach whatsoever. I'm very critical. I'm a teacher. I was like, I can create a better course and I'll just give it to them for free. And they'll like and trust me and be like, awesome. And then when I teach on the course, I'll use my software and they'll be like, oh, I'll just buy the software. And then once they got enrolled in the course, I took them from the course email to inviting them to a live webinar. And I gave them a demo and I gave them a workshop. I answered any questions they had. And this is great for me because they got a chance to see what the software looked like as an attendee, ask any questions. I gave them like a special offer being on the webinar. I used everything I learned from teaching. And I was a teacher trainer when I was in education as well. And that's really what webinars are. You're just teaching online. And I just taught them like, hey, this is how you structure your lesson. This is how you teach. This is how you sell. You just demo it. You show them how to do it. Just be upfront about it. Like there's techniques that we use in our workshops that like no one ever heard of before. Like we do this thing where like we tell people, hey, don't sell on your webinar at all. Do a workshop and then tell people, hey, I'm doing a webinar tomorrow the same time. Everybody's automatically enrolled which I am going to talk to you about my course or my product or whatever you're selling. That's when you can ask all the questions about the product. But today we're just going to work on the workshop and don't worry, we're not selling anything. And there's going to be people interjecting, well, is this in the course you have? Well, guys, can't talk about it today. Tomorrow, we're going to have this workshop and we're going to focus on that. And then we just do that. You know, the next day you do the workshop to sell, you, you can actually sell and they're expecting to be sold to. And there's no feeling like you're being hoodwinked or anything like that. So we had the course invite them to the webinar. And then on the webinar, that's how we kind of grew our user base. So that was one thing. So you said number one way of growing outside your sphere was to do content marketing. So teaching for free a course on how to do webinars. The second thing was actually doing the webinars themselves. The reason why I was a huge fan of webinars in the beginning, because I've never seen anything sell so well. It's so easy to sell on webinars, it's so easy to get over barriers, it's so easy to like build trust. I knew that if I could just get them on the webinars, they're on my list because of the course, but then I get them on a webinar to teach and sell. Like I know this sounds like I'm selling webinars because I sell webinars software, but it's true. Have you met somebody like online for months? You meet them at a conference for one hour and then like you feel like you know them for much longer than one hour. There's some sort of rapport. And I think they see your face, you hear your voice, they get to know you a little bit. They see you're real people. You see you're not trying to scam them. And I feel like really helps. What are some elements that most people don't do or they should be doing to make a, a webinar epic? Oh, that's a good one, man. First of all, you don't have to guess. You could just ask your audience. Let's say the webinar is tomorrow, the day before. I will email everybody who's registered and ask them, hey, what would be a win today? What would be a win on the webinar for you? Like, what would you like to win? What would you like to learn? What are you expecting out of this webinar? And they email you back. Not everybody's going to email you, but you're going to get some great responses and people are going to be like, oh, I want to get over my nerves of webinar. I want to know how to sell. I want to know like how to put a course together. How do you think of your price for your product? Whatever, all that stuff. And then on the webinar, I just have that list in front of me and I go through it in the beginning. Hey, I emailed you guys. Here are some of the things that you guys said. I want to make sure today's a win for you. And even if you don't do the email before, you could do this in the chat at the start. You know, when people are trickling in. You can say, hey guys, as you walk into the room, 
I want you to answer this question. What would be a win today for you? Put it in the chat. One of the most critical days of the year in teaching is your first day of school because it sets the tone for the rest of the year. So a lot of teachers, they're really lackadaisical in the first day. And that's like a huge problem because that's when students know like, okay, this is going to be like a cakewalk and we can take advantage of this teacher. So what you're supposed to do is put them on task immediately as they walk in the classroom. You say, hey, good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? There's a task on the board. Here's your seat number. Go find your seat and get on task and we'll get started shortly. Put them on task. Say, hey, in the chat, tell me what's your biggest fear with the webinar? What's your biggest fear in marketing? What would be a win today on your webinar? After you do your workshop and you answer all those questions and you make sure everybody gets a win, you recap. You say to people, okay, guys, this is what we did today. We learned this. We crushed your fears by doing this. This is how we did this, 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 this. So you actually seal it and let them know, I delivered a win. They can't help but say, this person delivered value. They gave me what they promised. I said I wanted this. They gave me this. That automatically builds trust and really helps you, one, have fans for life, and two, give them no reason not to buy. Okay, so number one, get their expectations straight up what makes it successful, either via email ahead of it or during once they join. At the end of it, recap all the things that they've taken away and learned from it. A lot of people, they don't like taking questions in the middle because it breaks their flow. I think having sections in the middle to answer questions are great because it keeps it interactive. It gets people going. You got to have some sort of interaction every five minutes. If you are digging what I'm saying, put a hell yeah in the chat. Let them put hell yeah all the right? Just so they feel like I can't switch screens. I can't go to Facebook right now because they're asking me questions. There's interaction going on. Get them to do something. Say, hey, write down whatever your favorite thing on a piece of paper next to you and then share it with the rest of the people on the chat. You know, set a poll, do something. You got to interact with them every five minutes. What are the common mistakes you see people doing that you cringe at or because you've seen hundreds, if not Mm. thousands or tens of thousands of webinars, like what are the short things that people can be like, hey, just don't do these few things? I think when you're too stiff and you're too formal about it, I think people confuse professionalism. They don't show themselves. They're really buttoned up. It's hard for them to open up or really just be themselves. But you're really losing an opportunity. The whole point of the webinar is to be personal, is for you to open up yourself and not feel like, oh, I got to be stiff. I got to only show my slides, never show my face. Show your face in the beginning. It's okay. Just say, hey, this is me in my office. This is me in my home office. Here's Rover over here. He's licking his bone whatever. like It's okay. You can be personal and it does not have to be super professional. You can put some music on, you can dance, and then you can go to your slides. I take questions on camera because I don't need the slides for questions. I think a lot of people get too nervous and they get too buttoned up and they don't loosen up. I know it takes a few times. You have to just do a few webinars to get out of your system. The second thing I think a lot of people really just have a hard time with, they just as quickly as possible stop worrying about is like, A lot of people worry about the sound of their own voice or if they're explaining things properly or if they're a good teacher and they keep asking the audience, like, do you know what I mean? It sounds really weak when you say that. It's easier just to speak slowly, to explain things slowly, to rehearse your material beforehand, to ask, does anybody have any questions? That's a lot better. A lot of people, they stop in the middle and they keep on saying, you know, do you know what I mean? Does this make any sense? And they say a lot and it doesn't really resonate with people. People feel like, okay, maybe this person doesn't know what they're talking about. So like, just be confident about it and just try to be yourself as much as possible. The Sumo webinars, we've been doing them now about 18 months, maybe 24 months. Two things that have really helped us is number one, we have generally someone else on the team watch the other person do the webinar. And then we do a debrief right after the webinar. That's one thing where it's like, hey, this part I kind of zoned out on, or you're getting a lot of these questions, you should incorporate that back into your slides. And you can kind of also do timing on it. Like, So that's number one, just having someone else there 
that you trust their opinion on. Number two, we track the webinar. So how many people we emailed, how many people registered, how many people attended, how many people bought it. Just a very basic one. And it really helps you to be like, oh, wow, that one did a lot better. And you could see if you're improving or not over time. The third thing is emailing the people who buy or did not buy on your webinars. You could just ask them like, hey, you bought this, like what convinced you to buy it? And they'll say, well, this and this and this. And you're like, well, let me do more of that. I generally find that there's three types of customers. There's, they're going to buy no matter what. You can be like, hey, I hate you and your family. You should die. And they're like, I'm buying this. Then there's the people who are like, they're just there to be tire kickers. They're not going to buy no matter what. They're just like, oh, I want to see how these guys do a webinar or just in general. I just want to see it. The ones that you're selling to are the fence people. They could be either way. Like they came because they're interested, but they're not sure. And so that's where just email them. The two things I was curious about is one, if you had to redo this whole 18 months, is there things you would change? And two, how have you dealt with the mental challenges? I would do a few things differently. I'd probably make a few hires a little earlier in the process. I got my friend and guy that's working on the studio, which is the most complex part of our software, a little bit later in the game because I wanted to get all the documentation sorted. I want to make sure like all the core stuff into the software is done. This is all technical stuff. I think if I hired him maybe a couple months earlier, it would have been better. I took my advice from my product manager that you don't really need them right now. We already have somebody on the team that can kind of fill that gap, but I needed somebody really solid in that area. That's one. The other thing is a part of me, to be honest with you, feels like I'm not really sure what I would do differently because what we're building is really hard. A lot of people don't understand like what we're doing. They're like, it's just a software. So like one of my goals was like, make sure it's stable, make sure it works, make sure everybody's happy with it. And we have lots of customers that love it and they do great webinars with it. And it's awesome to see. And the reason why I wanted to get at that point is because I want to have the time to build something completely revolutionary. Like I wanted the next thing to just be like, what the heck is this? I wanted to allow people to like, okay, I have a software that works. That's great. And I wanted the time to do that. Like our developers, like I have no reference for that because it's never been done. I'm actually happy in a way that I'm having these challenges because it means that I am building something that's important. Because if it was easy, I'd be like, this is not that significant. You only can go as fast as what your team can do. So I've been just trying to realign my expectations, trying to keep the goal in mind. I know what we're building. I know when it comes out, it's going to be incredible. I'm going to be very proud of it. I keep focusing on that. I keep focusing on what I can control, saying that every time I wake up in the morning, I got to just do my best do what I can, you know, try to lead my team as much as I can. And sometimes you just got to leave it on the table, let them perform, let them do what they can. Sometimes there's luck involved. Sometimes there's circumstances involved. Sometimes people get sick. Like there's something that's out of your control. I can't control it. What I can control is just my attitude towards it, how hard I want to work. Also just understanding that like, this is going to take some time if I want to do it right. That's how I do it really. Some days are easier than others, but it helps me just to wake up in the morning and just say, try your best. That's all you could do. Well, so it sounds like, what the hell can we control? Yeah, you got to be fine with that. I think a lot of people like extreme sports because of that. Like, I'm not an extreme sport kind of guy, but I've mountain climbed a few times and it's scary as hell. And you feel like at any time you could die. It's like there's so many things out of your control. In a way, businesses like that, like there's so many things out of your control. You just have to be comfortable with just being kind of in a state of anything can happen and just be like, hey, that's fine. You know, I'll roll with it. And you said it a bit earlier, but I am curious, like how do you view communicate with customers? Is it just making that video right away, keeping them up to date? This is the hardest thing I had to do is just telling customers what's happening. You know, I shot a video a few times. I sent a couple emails. My last video I sent them, I just explained them like, this is the challenge we're having. This is the exact problem we're having. We're getting there. 
you know, it works most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't. We want to make sure it works all the time. I don't want to have you embarrassed in front of your webinar. I want to make sure it works smoothly. Like even though this is has to do with the replays, it's not during live. The technology goes hand in hand, and we need to make sure that it works perfectly on both ends. I just explain it to them. It still sucks. Even thinking about it makes me feel bad, but you have to do it. You have to frame it in a way to tell them, I'm doing what's best for us. You as a customer and for me as a business, you know, even when you have to deliver any kind of news, like say, for example, you're raising prices. A lot of people like say, oh man, this sucks. Why are you raising prices? Like I, I got to stay in business. I have to raise prices. Either do that or you don't have a software. You don't say that in that harsh terms, but you just be honest. Like, hey, this is a decision we have to make to be sustainable. And obviously what we like to do, we like to grandfather people in with prices, but sometimes people will leave and come back like, oh, prices went up. Yeah, we have to because we have to stay sustainable. So anytime we deliver bad news, just I feel like you just got to be honest with people and be straight up. Some people are going to love you for it. Some people are going to be like, man, this sucks and just, you know, hate you for it. But you just got to let it slide. And I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from that message is don't bury your head in the sand. Be real with your customers. Like I think one of the things that you said earlier in the show that was powerful for me is you know all of your early customers. And I feel the same with Sumo. Like with AppSumo.com, when I started seven years ago, I'm actually talking to one of them in two hours just to catch up. His name is Ruman from BidSketch.com. And yeah, it's get ahead of them. Keep it real with them and, and talk to them like you would tell a friend. Like, hey, things are going well and here's what I'm doing about it and here's what to expect. I think it's that expectations. One of the things I always say on the show or to people, or even when I get on stage, I say like, I would not be on stage if it wasn't for those people that listen to the show, that watch my free videos, that watch my free courses. I exist because those people actually listen to me. So I owe it to them to be honest with them. I owe it to them to say, hey, this is going on. Like and in a way, they're part of what's happening. Like I have a business because they trusted me. I feel like just being honest with them really does help. And also just recognizing that they're not just these people. These people, all these customers, all these people, they're the people that actually feed you. They're the actually people that support your business. They're the actually people that make the workplace you always wanted or the business you've always wanted, you know? So I kind of feel like in a way I owe it to them. That's a wrap. I hope you like my conversation with Omar Zenholm, the co-founder of Webinar Ninja and the $100 MBA. If you did, go say hi to Omar on the interwebs at WebinarNinja.com or the Twitter world at the Omar Z-E-N-H-O-M the Omar Zenhome next go tell a friend you love him yo dog this Jewish guy on the podcast named Noah Kagan told me to text you I love you have a lovely day what's your favorite soda <laughs> <laughs>